All right, welcome back. <laughs> um, we've been in the summer series, uh, and I don't know about you guys, but I've been tremendously blessed. Uh, blessed to see all these different speakers come through and share what God has to say. And we kind of didn't put restrictions on the topic as long as they preached the gospel. But in some ways, I, I've been talking to people in our church, and they've been so encouraged by, hey, I feel like there's kind of this theme where God's speaking to us. Uh, that God is just weaving this narrative, and it's this, is that how do we put our faith into action? How do we grow as disciples and desire more with God? And so today, I have the great privilege to share uh, the word of God with us today. Next week, Pastor Eric would be weaving, finishing <laughs> the summer series. I'm not sure quite what the sermon will be, but I know it's going to be good because God is going to preach through and in him. Uh, but today, uh, we, I kind of wanted to bring us back to really the mission of our church, and it's this, is that New Life Fellowship, we are called to be a Christ-centered community that expands the kingdom of God by making disciples. That we're not interested in just growing numbers and having a fancy worship, but there needs to be movement of people growing for Christ, expanding for Christ, constantly being challenged and pulled and uncomfortable for the sake of reaching every single person for the gospel. Change has to happen, and this is something that God's been stirring in my heart, and maybe in yours, that God is desiring change for us, not stagnation, and change not just in seating, uh, the, filling the seats in the church, because yes, we are growing that way. There's a lot of people coming through new life, and our seats are filled, but are we being changed from the inside out? Are we truly disciples of Christ that are growing, or are we just coming every Sunday, filling up these seats, well, today, I believe God wants to speak into that through the word that comes to us from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. And if you are able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in the proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word is living, it is active, it is good, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces our hearts and souls. I pray, O oh God, right now, would you just pierce our hearts with your gospel truth? 
Lord, so that if there are untruths in our lives, in our lives, if there's things that need to be moved, if there's areas where we need to trust you more, God, would you lead us there? Father, I pray that you would sanctify this space, this time, this moment, and even me, Lord God, this unclean vessel you would use to proclaim your gospel, Lord. I am humbled, but I pray now that you would just cover my lips, cover every aspect of me so that God, only your holy word and the good news of Jesus Christ will be preached so that your people will hear and they will live. We love you, God, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may have your seats. So uh, this past weekend, actually yesterday, we sold my beloved Prius. through the birth of our first son, Xander, and now through Axel. And I think everyone has taken turns sitting in that car. Uh, But that car was getting too small for our family. Uh, We're growing, and I felt that as we drove it down. I sat in the back seat of that Prius with two little ones with car seats. I was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) this is really snug. It's time to go. But the car itself was showing signs that it it needed to go, and it was having issues with the battery. And I think I talked about the issue, but I I kept holding on to it. I was like, oh, the the gas prices are a little high. I'm just going to hold on to it a little bit more, a little bit more. And so I made these adjustments, and um, I found out it needed a new battery. So I was like, okay. Let's do this. I found out how much it costs. I was like, okay, (laughs) is there different options? I found out there are many options. So I chose actually a refurbished battery because I thought, you know, I'm not going to drive it for too long. So I want to save money. (laughs) I'm going to save money where I can and do little updates where I can, but I don't want to invest too much into it. Well, it showed because months in, even though I changed the battery, the light kept coming on. And there were all these different issues. And thankful for my mechanic, he's so patient. And he would change little things, try to tweak it here and there. And he's like, oh, I think you need to take it to the dealer just to make sure. And I did. I was like, OK, I don't want to spend too much money, but I want to know the diagnosis. Where is this car at? And I took it to the Toyota dealership. And they said, oh, it's your battery. You need a new one. It's like, oh, but I got a new one. It was a refund. like, no. You need a brand new one. It's not going to work. You see, for me, I was trying to make modest modifications to this Prius because I didn't want to pay too much. But at the end of the day, it came to the same conclusion. What this car needed was not just a modest upgrade, but it needed a complete transformation, a new hybrid battery. It needed a new thing. And I share this because today, as I look at the passage that Paul is leading us towards, to understand is he's talking about, you know, if we are a true follower of Jesus Christ and we genuinely understand his grace and his mercy, in our lives, we need to not just make modest modifications, cheap modifications, but we really need to transform our lives. 
God is asking us to be completely and totally renewed. Every fiber of our lives must be touched by the gospel and affected in a radical way. But just like I was trying to save money with my Prius and just wanted to make modest changes, cheap changes, I feel like as Christians, some of us approach our Christian walk that way. Is that we don't want to make transforming changes, but we make modest changes. We change our behavior here and there, little, little bits. So we get rid of the bad behavior and put a little Christian behavior here. We add Christian things into our schedules, try to make adjustments because we don't want the cost of following Jesus to be too much. So we make few sacrifices and there's no change in our lives. There's a little bit of a difference, but not the kind of change that God desires in us and he wants to see through us. You see, today, God is reminding us that he's not interested in modifying our behaviors or just changing a few things, but he wants to do a new thing in us. So today, I have two points for my sermon. We're kind of going with this car theme So the first, where are we going? (laughs) And point two, how do we get there? So the first point, where are we going? We're going towards total transformation and not cheap modification. Paul says here, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul here is actually using a very familiar language to the folks that were gathered. Is this this idea of sacrifice, worship, was something that was always connected to one another. Because in the Old Testament, every time people came to worship God, they couldn't just come, but they had to bring a sacrifice. Whether it was a burnt sacrifice or a sin sacrifice, they would bring animals to be slaughtered in order to approach in approach. Uh, in order to approach the throne of God. This was placed in there. The sacrifice was placed in there to remind the people of their sin, of how God is holy and people were not. And there needed to be a sacrifice in order to bring the two together. So the Israelites did that. Every time they approached God, they would bring a sacrifice. The priest would take that sacrifice, offer it to God, and then the steps would repeat and repeat, and repeat. And it was because this animal sacrifice would never atone for the sins of people. The guilt remained, the shame remained, there was no change. And so God did a new thing. This is God, he always does a new thing. And he did away with the sacrifice altogether by sending the perfect sacrifice, who was his son, Jesus, the Lamb of God. And Jesus came down to be that one-time perfect sacrifice so that there will be no other sacrifices that needed to be made. And through Jesus, we all will have access to this God every time, anytime, 24-7. Hebrews actually talks a lot about this extensively. Now fast forward to today. We're kind of in this time where this idea of a sacrifice in worship is non-existent. Thank God. Can you imagine if we had to build a slaughter, slaughtering altar somewhere in the same? It'd, it'd, be, it'd be too much, 
right? So thank God that there is no more of these sacrifices, these rituals, these regulations to approach God. But in some sense now, without these physical sacrifices, it's almost become so easy to come to God. It is a good thing. But at the same time, it costs us nothing. So that worship has become so cheapened. We say Jesus paid the price, so I don't have to. That's true. So maybe at first we did come with this awe and thanksgiving. We were reminded of the grace of God. As we stood before God, we're like, God, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for allowing me to be with you. And we were filled with that. But over time, what happens? Our hearts grow cold. Coming out becomes repetitive. Sometimes it becomes even too much. And we've reduced, diluted the meaning of worship to do just doing religious activities on Sundays or other days of the week. Coming out to church or for some, tuning in online. We sing some songs. We hear a nice sermon. We give some of our money. Some of us volunteer at church. And we pray and we're done. We've had our worship for the week. We go back home, go to our jobs, go to our families, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, are our lives transformed by the gospel? Are we worshiping God outside the bounds of this time? The weekend rolls again, and here we are back at church. But Paul says to us today, if worship is genuine worship, it's not just about our Sundays. It's not just during the times when you meet for small group or gather with other Christians. But worship is so much more than just singing praise songs or listening to a good message or doing small group. But worship, as Paul puts it, needs to be with our entire bodies, giving it up as a living sacrifice to God daily. You see, when the Bible talks about sacrifice, It actually means death. So to be a living sacrifice actually means that we need to daily put our lives to death. We die to our way of living. We die to our way of being. We die every second, every moment. We give it all to God. God says, this is the spiritual worship I desire from you. This is nothing new. Paul's not just making this up and making extra regulations, but Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake would save it. See, Paul didn't make it up. Jesus was saying from the very beginning that when you want to follow me, it has to cost you something. It has to cost you your life. If we truly understand the love of God and the mercies of God, Paul says, he's, he's urging us. He says, worship him with your everything. Worship him with your all. Don't just give him a fraction or part of your lives or part of your week or part of your finances. But God says, can you trust me with everything, every fraction of your life, every fraction of your week, every fraction of your family, your children, your finances? Can you say, God, it's yours. How can I use this to bless your kingdom? He wants full control. 
Paul goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. What does it mean to be conformed? Well, when we look this word up, it actually means to stay within a certain mold, being molded to something. Uh, My son, he loves all things sensory, but among those things, he really loves (laughs) Play-Doh. And I think all of us have played with Play-Doh. It's this colorful dough that gets everywhere. I'm not a fan of it. I used to be until my son started playing with it. Uh, But whenever he plays with it, it really does get everywhere. Uh, Play-Doh has gone really fancy compared to when I was a kid. It was just like we have the dough and you just have to find things to play with it. But now there's all these different creations. There's like a pizza making Play-Doh. There's like ice cream Play-Doh. There's dinosaur. And it comes with all these shapes and molds and things that you can put the Play-Doh into. And it creates all these beautiful things. But the problem is you have to keep buying all these new pieces and these different molds. But the funny thing about my son is that he doesn't really like the molds. I give him the pieces, and it's probably characteristic of toddlerhood, but he doesn't want to put it in the dinosaur shape. He's like, no, 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 I want to put it in my monster truck and on the wheel. I want to see what the wheel does to the dough. I was like, oh, okay, I want to see. And he'll bring kitchen tools. Like, I want to see what it does with this. I'm like, oh, this is why I don't want to give him the Play-Doh. But what my son recognizes, you know those molds, they're kind of boring. It's mundane. At first, he'll play with it, but it gets old. It's very restrictive. And my son, he lo- he's all about the freedom. He likes to explore and see. He wants to be limitless. So when Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, in some sense, he's saying, don't get stuck and trapped inside this mold that this world is creating. Because from the sounds of it, living to be worldly, worldly living sounds so free. To be worldly sounds great, but in actuality, it's quite the opposite. The Bible tells us the world is not free. In fact, there is a mold. There is limitations, restrictions, and oftentimes our culture will tell us you need to fit inside this or you're out. Fit inside this or you're canceled. The world tries to restrict us instead of free us. Like the Play-Doh creations that look identical one after another when you use that mold. Being conformed to this world limits our possibility. This is why Paul is saying, you're called to be more than that. You're called to be more. Being transformed by the renewal of your mind means that you're called to be a completely, radically different new creation, something totally different the world has never seen. What is that? Why is that person like that? I recently had uh, a meeting with uh, a good friend of mine in this church, and we had a housewarming, a virtual housewarming. But what was interesting in the housewarming party, we did it over Zoom, is as everyone talked about this, this friend, this church, everyone was like, Who does that? Why is she like that? And it was because she was radically missional. She lived on missions all the time, talking to strangers, talking to Uber drivers, bringing them to church. And everyone said, who does that? This is crazy. 
But that's what God wants to do in us. He wants us to be radically different, transformed, so that the world would see us and say, What's, what is that? What's going on here? He wants to renew us from the inside out, radically different. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt with deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's the paradox, guys. Um, it says here that when we offer ourselves, our entire selves to God, meaning we die to ourselves, we die to our living, our, we die to our ways, this actually doesn't restrict us, but this death leads to freedom. This death leads to limitless possibility. This is why Jesus says when you lose your life, you will actually end up saving it. So church, this is where we're headed. Not cheap modification, but total radical transformation. This is where God wants to lead us. Which leads me to our second point. How do we get there? How do we get there? So, so kind of along this car theme, how do we get there? Sobriety and connection to others. Well, the answer is provided in verses three to eight. In order to take steps towards total transformation, we actually need to have the right view of ourselves. Paul actually says, and we're gonna read verses three to five, he says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul reminds us here that we need to see ourselves for who we truly are. And he warns us against seeing ourselves more than that, more than that. And what is the word that he uses? He says, have sober judgment. What is sobriety? It is the opposite of drunkenness. Sobriety means accuracy. Sobriety means clear thinking consistency. Paul says we need to be sober-minded in the ways that we think of ourselves. But I find it interesting here that Paul chooses his word sober judgment. He could have said, hey guys, stop being self-centered. Hey church, be more humble. But he doesn't use that word. He actually says, he doesn't say be more humble or be less self-centered, but he says, have an accurate judgment of who you are. Have an accurate judgment of where you're at. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't let people dictate where your standards are, but we need to measure ourselves, where we're at, what we're doing, based on the faith that God has given to us. You know, recently, uh, I just took my son Axel to his nine-month uh, checkup, and at the nine-month checkup, the doc this is what the doctor does. He kind of checks around for his health. He checks around to see where he's at. And the thing is, I can make those diagnoses 
right, and see how my son is and compare him to other kids, but it is at the wellness checks where he is actually diagnosed and seen for what he is, whether he's healthy or he's not. And in the same way, Paul is saying, hey, we need to measure ourselves in that way according to the measure that never fails, and that is God. Because generally, how do we measure ourselves? We measure ourselves uh, based on what we've accomplished and what we've done, such as the education we received, the kinds of jobs that we've had, how much money we make, how much power influence we have socially, the awards and recognitions we have. Generally, those measurements is how we value someone as, hey, more important or less important. At least that's how our culture does it. We value people based on individual achievements. How much have I done in my life? But Paul here turns it around. It's interesting. He says, no, no, don't measure your life based on what you did for yourself in your life. It's not about your individual merit, but it's based on what God has done in your life. Not about what you did, but what God has done for you. Ephesians 4, uh, chapter, eight, uh, ch- uh, chapter 4, verse 8 to 9 says this, For by the grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The most important thing that we need to realize about ourselves and embrace is that everything that we are, everything that we've done, everything that we are able to do, all that we have is first a gift from our good God. Everything. Therefore, there is no reason for us to boast in these things. There's no reason for us to think we're better than or less than the others. Everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we are able to do, again, is a grace and a gift from God. We shouldn't use it to measure ourselves or compare ourselves to others. It's a gift. Paul says, this is having a sober judgment, knowing yourself that you are nothing. You are nothing. But at the same time, you're also everything because Christ gave himself up for you. That's what it means to have a clear, sober judgment about ourselves. Paul uses this amazing analogy. He talks about us, the body of believers, As a body, he says, you and I are members of the same body, and we each have unique functions, and our gifts are based on how God bestowed it to us. Therefore, we're not supposed to use these gifts to compare with each other, but we're supposed to use these gifts to fit better with each other. We're supposed to use it to build up the body of Christ. That's it. That's all that God cares about. When he looks at you and I, he sees gifts that he's given to you and I. We're all different. He's not gonna compare, how are you doing and compare, no. He doesn't care about that. He says, I have gifted you. I have uniquely shaped you. Now how are you using that in the body 
of Christ. Not to build your kingdom, not to build your life, not to build your title, but how are you using your gifts to build the body of Christ? That's it. That's all that God cares about. Verse 6 goes on to say, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to, our, given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul goes on to list seven different gifts uh, in verses six to eight that are often visible in the Christian community. But I want us to know that these aren't the only gifts. There's a lot more. He talks about it in Corinthians and different parts. Um, I'm not sure why he specifically chooses these specific gifts, but I think he's just given an example of how there's different giftedness. And I'm not gonna go into the nitty gritty of how these gifts work or what it is because the sermon's gonna be too long. But I wanna talk about the purpose. Why does God give differing gifts to Christians? What is the purpose of these gifts? He talks about these gifts like body parts that have different functions and mechanisms. And the body actually is healthy when all of the parts are working correctly. Earlier, like I mentioned, I took my son Axel to a wellness check. And rather than diagnosing my, him myself, I take him to the doctor to do that. And um, this is what usually happens during a, a wellness check for people who have not been to one is that, and maybe some of you guys go to a physical, same thing, when we go to a physical, what does the doctor do? He asks you a bunch of questions. So he said, you know, how, how is the baby's behavior? Does he eat? Does he sleep? Is he grabbing food with his fingers? Because I guess that's a milestone at nine months. Is he standing on his own? So you'll take notes of all of these, these things that he's physically able to do. Is he sitting independently? He takes notes. And after he talks to me, what he does is he'll start to examine the child. He'll measure his head. Right? My kid has really big heads. Like, okay. It's like 80 percentile. Measure his leg. Okay, a little short, right? So they'll measure all parts of him. He'll look into his eyes to see if he's following. He'll look at his fingers to see if they're reactive. He'll listen to his heart to see uh, how the heart works. He'll measure him, look at him head to toe to see if all his body parts are working, functioning well. And after seeing all those different parts, he will say, okay, your child is healthy. Thank God he was healthy. <laughs> He's been sick a lot, but he's like, he's a healthy boy, very active, but very healthy. And this is the same for us in the body of Christ. He says, you know what? Are we a healthy body? Are we a healthy body? Are all the members, are we functioning in the right capacity? Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are you plugged in? Are you idle? Are you doing too much? How are you using the gifts that God has given you to build up his body? This is where God's heart is today. I think one of the things that is so common, not just in our church, I think every church, every church, but some of the things that I do notice, especially in our church today, is that we see a small percentage of people serving. It's usually the same people who do multiple things all the time. 
And they're very, very busy, and they're very good at what they do. That's probably why we ask them again and again to do different tasks. People trust them. People look up to them because they're leaders. Some of us are pastors. Take community groups, for example. We actually don't have enough community groups leaders, but at least for our size, that is. We have a good amount. We have a lot, but not enough. But when I do look at the leaders that we do have, I'm so amazed. I'm like, wow, God, this is amazing. <laughs> These groups of leaders are amazing. And I say amazing because all of them are really different. They all have unique gifts, unique talents, and they love Jesus and they want to use those talents to serve God. They, they, they do that to serve his church. But when I look at them, I observe the ones so far, I'm like, wow, everyone's really different though. Some CG leaders are really gifted in teaching. Some of them are really good at exhorting, encouraging. Some of them are really administrative and they're bent that way and that's a gift from God. Some of them are so hospitable and they're always connecting people, welcoming people to their homes. They're all uniquely gifted and they're using these gifts to serve the body of Christ. They're using these gifts to give it up to God. But oftentimes what happens as leaders, and myself included, is that we often feel like, man, why don't I have these other gifts? If I had this other gift, I would do even a better job. I wish I could, and that's the common conversation. Pastor Claire, I'm doing this, but I wish, I feel like I'm not very good at this. I don't know if I should, I'm like, and I feel the same way. We have certain gifts, but we're like, oh, I wish I could. And today Paul is saying, you know what? If you're doing a lot and you're serving to full capacity and you feel like, oh, I wish, God's like, no, 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 you need to have a sober judgment of where you're at. You're not called to do more. You need to know yourself. You're just a part of the body. You're just one part. You're using that part to serve, but don't do more than what you're supposed to. He's, Romans 12 teaches us that if you're leading and you feel pressure to be good at everything, we need to look to God and ask him to readjust. But God has been challenging me this week. What have I gifted you with? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? How are you using that? Don't worry about all these other things that are not, don't worry about that. That's my work. You just focus on what I gifted you in, what you're passionate about, what you love to do. Use it to glorify my body. Church leaders, community group leaders, if you're serving and you're tired and you're burnt out today, God is saying, hey, take a moment to realign, reassess, have clear judgment. Don't do more than you're asked to do. Ask God where your gift is and focus on that one gift. You are just one part of Christ's body. You have unique gifts. It's not more special, more important than others. You and I, all of us need one another. We need each other so that the body can thrive. The church cannot function 
with just the 5-10% that serves. That is a limited gift of people. That's 10% of your body just working. God is calling us for more. In the same way today, church, if there's some of us in this community who feel like, I'm not quite there yet. I can't contribute yet. I'm not quite strong in my faith yet. I don't have these gifts like these others. I believe some of us feel that way, where we kind of lower our standards, and we're like, God, I can't. And we think we're being humble, but it's not. We're lowering the expectations that God has for us. God says, I have given you a gift. Even if you don't think it's a very good gift, God's saying, I've gifted you. Now use it to glorify my kingdom. You may not be very good at it at first, but as you use it, as you pour into it, as you practice it, it's going to expand. It's going to be more beautiful. What are the areas that God has gifted you in? What are the things that God has called you, but you're a little afraid to say, God, I want to serve you in this way. Today, church, God is saying you are crucial to this body. This church needs you. This church doesn't need more pastors. Kind of do, but no. The, the church needs you. Every single member, every single community member who are gifted uniquely by God, functioning, using those gifts for the glory of God. And when we do that, church, naturally, we're going to be healthy. Naturally, when we do that, we're going to grow. Not just filling these seats, but we're going to grow. We're going to be expanding God's kingdom. We're going to be making more disciples. But we need to be a healthy church first. How do we be healthy? Every single body part needs to be doing its function. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just this time. And even this word, it's a difficult word. But I thank you, God, that you see so much potential in us. You see so much more in us. And you call us to more. Father, I pray if there are brothers and sisters in this place, Lord, that are maybe doing too much, stretched too thin, dabbling in too many different giftings, and we've lost our passion, we lost our way. Father, would you make us sober in our judgment? Give us a clear judgment of where we are, what we need to do, and how to focus. Likewise, God, I pray for those in our community who are not quite yet doing their part. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they're not confident. They feel not ready. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just give them the confidence that they need? Remind them of their gifts. Maybe some of them don't even know where their gifts are. But today, God, would you begin to speak into them right now to remind them what their gifting is? Teach them the steps they need to take to use it for your kingdom. And lastly, Lord, I pray for the non-believers, those who are not yet in the body of Christ. Would you just encourage them today that they are right here where they need to be? And Lord, begin that relationship with you through the body of Christ ministering to them. 
And so, Lord, we ask today as we continue to worship, continue to meditate, Holy Spirit, would you just wake us up in how uh, we, you want us to function and where you want us to go. We love you, God. We pray all of this in your name.